We continue this week in our series, Love Letter from God, with the Psalms. And we will start with also our key verse, which is John 3.16. But we're going to read three Psalms this morning. Psalm 1, Psalm 13, and Psalm 150. Uh, you can either flip to them or, uh, or follow along as I read them. Either way, I would ask that you stand as we read these psalms from Scripture this morning. 1 John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Then turn to Psalm 13. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And then Psalm 150, which is the very last psalm. All the way back, right before we get to Proverbs. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. Music connects us to moments. Couples in love select a song that matters to them. They play it at their wedding. Daughters and daddies dance at that same wedding, playing music to remind them of their relationship. We sing lullabies to our babies, 
dance in our cars to the radio as it plays songs. We commemorate those who have gone on, big moments in our collective memory, and even decades of time are recalled quickly and swiftly in just a few notes. We write our emotions in remembered time with the sounds of song. These books on the pulpit this morning are hymnals. This one dates back to the 1940s. This one is from the 50s. This one is the one I remember most. This is a Nazarene hymnal from the 1980s. There's a Methodist hymnal. And then if you look right in the pew in front of you, this is the one that you would see right in front of you in there. There are many songs in all of these hymnals that I remember well from my childhood. They are songs that were sung Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. There's a song that we've sung here that uh, brings me back to a little church in Buffalo, New York. Uh, they had black and white pews. And on Sunday night, they would have chorus books, not the hymnals, but they would have chorus books, and you could pick a song from the chorus book. It was once a month they did this. And there's a song that every time we sing it here, I'm transported back so Buffalo, New York, don't ever live there. <laughs> and the uh, never-ending winter, and the um, two weeks of summer, and our family living in a little apartment where the landlady lived downstairs and got mad whenever we would run around. There were four of us. That was all the time. It just takes me there whenever we sing it. And it's, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands as we go out with joy. That song just takes me back to Buffalo. Music is a way for us to time travel, to remember how we felt, to remember what we did, it takes us to that moment when we connected to our surroundings through the template of the perfect song. And it's no surprise that since the God who created us sang over us at the dawn of time, that the largest book of the Bible, the longest one, is the one that brings with it music, or at least lyrics. Psalms lives as a testament to our connection to God. In it, you read the words that connected one person to God or a nation to God through emotions, through the words. You can hear the difference in the way that the Psalms are written and you can see who God is by paying attention to what they say. There are several different types of psalms that are preserved for us. We're only looking at three this morning, because I thought you might want to leave before 2.30 in the afternoon. 
We could talk about all of the different types of psalms, the way that psalm is divided up and the way that psalms has been analyzed. There are all kinds of things that go along with it. Part of the psalms were written by David, but not all of them. Some people think all of them, but not all of them. There's probably one or two that you are very, very familiar with. Psalm 23, for example, is one that probably almost everyone has heard, at least once. We say a psalm every Sunday morning to start off our worship service. And it's part of our connection to engage us in worship. That's one of the things that psalms do. They take us to a moment where we start worship. But we're going to talk about three types of psalms, and we're going to connect them with worship. Psalm 1 is the first type, which is wisdom. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Wisdom psalms give us instruction in living a blessed life. These are poems that express for us in word pictures what it means to follow God, what it looks like to experience God's blessing, what it says to live according to God's purposes. Now we know that not every single sentence in that poem is always true at every moment in time, but it is an ideal, and it is the blessing that is promised, and that's what wisdom psalms tell us. Here is the promise for those who follow God. Lament is the second kind of psalm that we'll talk about this morning. And lament is sometimes the hardest for us because we want joy. We want to live in happiness, right? Isn't that what every person in America is searching after? Happiness, the pursuit of happiness. It's part of our creed. But sometimes we're not happy. Sometimes we're sad, and sometimes we need to have words that articulate that sorrow for us. And the Psalms is a perfect place to get those. We live in places where we have to ask questions of God, where we need to know that God is paying attention. God is big enough to hear them. God may not directly answer your questions, but God will hear them. And it is okay to ask them. We know that. We know that it's okay to ask them because we read in the Psalms that they are askable. We read in the Psalms that they've been asked before. We know that David, who is called a man after God's own heart, asked God questions about his own sadness about his own life, about the things that he went through. 
We might wonder why we have to suffer, why we have to walk through it. And lament psalms help us be able to say it. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You will notice if you read through some of the lament psalms that they all end similarly, most of them, and similarly to this one. The end is praise. One of the most famous lament psalms is one that Jesus says on the cross because when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the start of a lament psalm. Psalm 22. You see the rest of that psalm. The first part talks about why my bones are crushed against me. It's heartache. It's terrible sorrow. That's heavy weight. But the rest of it says, but I know you are here with me. I know that you will rescue me. I know that you are my redeemer. So even as Jesus is on the cross and he's reciting this lament psalm, the half of it that we talk about the most is the part where he feels abandoned, but the second half of it is all about how he knows that victory is on its way. And that is always the pattern of a lament psalm. God, I'm miserable. God, answer me. God, help me. I trust you. I believe in you. I know. I trust in your unfailing love. God, you have been good to me. It's a remembering of all the good that God has done before. And in that remembering, knowing that this sorrow, this grief, this heaviness, will also pass. And the last type of song is praise. And it's exemplified in many types of psalms, but I wanted to use the last one to show us how praise can just be saying, praise him. Praise the Lord. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You almost can't hear that sitting down. You definitely can't say it sitting down. Worship. It's a praise. It reminds us who God is. And it helps us to connect with God. To tie what we feel and what we know with who God is. That's the blessing of the gift of the Psalms. We can worship God in reading about the wisdom that God has for us. We can worship God by crying out to him. And we can worship God by praising him, by recognizing his magnificence. And we do it not with words that we've penned ourselves, although that is certainly acceptable, but with words that were penned in ancient times, words that not only connect us with God and our congregation with God, but connect us with all of the history of those who have worshipped God. When we read these words that David penned or that some psalmist from Israel penned, we are transported back in time to this moment where they were first written. And we can see that God, who was the God of David, is still the God of us today. And we can worship the same way as the ancients. Our worship is a weekly drawing us to a place that draws us closer to God. Building our collective worship memory to build our connection to God and to each other through the words that we say, the things that we hear, and the songs that we sing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And now, as we have been doing every week in this series, I will remind you of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fail to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back, through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved us enough to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved 
and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to sing over us. God loved us enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. And God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of the victory and of all we have in him and empower us to live like him. God loved us enough to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loved us enough to still let us choose our own destiny. God loved us enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. And God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go, love the world with him.